Hey, I have a very simple message for you this morning. And my message is this, is that you were made for the glory of God. Right? You were made to witness the glory of God, to live in it, to shine it, right? to reflect it, to share it with others, to let the glory of God bring you joy and confidence. Right? You were made for the glory of God. And we need to recognize that glory, because if we don't, if we don't see the bigness of God, then we're going to get caught up in the littleness of this world. And we're going to miss the very thing that we were created for, right? You were created for the glory of God. Let's turn to Luke chapter 9 this morning. And as you're going there, we're going to talk about the transfiguration of Christ. And when we get to this part of Luke chapter 9, the, the uh, schedule that Jesus keeps up, I, I work hard for a living, and you guys do too. And, you know, I do taxes also, and I've been trying to, like, you know, let go of that over the years. But it's, uh, it's a tough schedule. You know, I work in the prison, I'm a chaplain there, and I, but I'm a workaholic, you know, I like to, to be busy all the time. But when you follow Jesus and the disciples, when they're following Jesus, I mean, this is a grueling schedule. Jesus goes in, he sends them out to heal and to uh, cast out demons, and they come back, and they're probably tired from that. You, those of you that have engaged in ministry, you know how that can be, take a lot of energy out of you. It's very tiring. And then they, they go through and they feed the 5,000. Great miracle. You know, in fact, that's the only miracle that's in all four Gospels. I don't know if you know that. But that was probably exhausting. And then they go through all of Galilee, you know, go through the Decapolis, go up to Tyre and Sidon, the north of Galilee. And then they come back down south again. I mean, just nonstop crowds. You know, people coming to them, needing healing and, and, uh, and casting out demons, wanting to see Jesus. And at one point, Jesus takes his inner circle aside, you know, and after having this, like, really intense conversation with them, you know, he tells them that if anyone would come after me, they need to deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow him. And that brings on this long conversation, you know, those who, you know, try to preserve their life, will lose it. And those who give their lives for me will save it. And he says that those who are standing among you, some of the, those you that are standing here today will not taste death before you see the kingdom of God. I mean, these really intense things are coming out. So Jesus takes uh, Peter, James, and John aside. And he says, I want to take you on a little trip. And for, for a day, he takes them up the tallest mountain in Israel. So they get up there and... They're, they must be exhausted because we see, you know, that the disciples eventually fall asleep. But let's go to verse 28 in Luke chapter 9, where it's written that about eight days after this conversation, you know, about you know, not tasting death before they see the kingdom of God, he took Peter, John, and James and went up the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, and they appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were in a deep sleep, and when they finally became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who were standing with him. As the two men were departing from him, Peter said "Jesus, to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you, 
one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. And while he was saying this, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. They became afraid as they entered the cloud. And then a voice from the cloud came out saying, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. And after the voice had spoken, Jesus was there alone and they kept silent. And at that time, they told no one as to what they had seen. And in the other gospels, Jesus actually tells them not to say anything until the time is right. And this word transfigured, we don't really see that a lot in the Bible, and we don't want to confuse that with the word transformed. You know, we become transformed when we see Jesus. When we see the glory of God, we become transformed. Do you remember when God was first revealed to you, when Christ was first revealed to you? Did that change you, right? We talk about being reborn. When we see Christ as he is for the first time, we become transformed. We become changed from the inside out. Our very nature changes. You know, that's transformation. And as we see his glory over and over again, we become more and more like him. We become transformed. But this word transfiguration is something different. You know, this is changing on the outside. And what's happening is Jesus, his glory, his inner nature is bursting out is bursting from the inside out. You know, Paul writes that when Jesus came to us, when God took on flesh, that he veiled himself, that he veiled his glory. But in this moment on the mountain, he just lets it out. He lets it fly. And he's shining, dazzling white. So white, nothing that human hands could ever do to make it so white and bright as he was. And Moses and Elijah are there talking with him. You know, Moses, you know, the law, Elijah, the prophet of prophets are there with him. And it says that they're in glory, in their glory, but not from their own glory, but reflecting the glory of the one that they're talking with. And they're talking about Jesus' departure, you know, his eventual resurrection and ascension. And these disciples are asleep you know, from climbing up a mountain after the weeks and weeks of following Jesus without rest. And I don't know if you've ever had an afternoon nap right after a long day, and you're in that state where you're not really sure if you're awake or asleep, and then something, you know, uh, something shakes you and, and you wake up, you're not really sure what you're seeing, but Peter sees this amazing, shining Savior in front of him, and Moses and Elijah, so he just starts moving around, I don't know if it's nervous energy, and just gets up and says, hey, you know, can we, I'll make you a shelter. Let me make you a place for you guys to sit. And he's probably referring to, you know, a tradition that they had. There's a festival of shelters, and maybe it was around that time where the Jews celebrate the uh, time when God led them from Mount Sinai to the Promised Land. They lived in tents, so they celebrate every year by going out and making shelters for themselves and living in tents. And he sees Moses and Elijah and Jesus, and he's just spewing out something to say. And then the cloud descends on them, right? The cloud, the pillar, and it speaks to them. The Father speaks, and they're terrified. Now, when God led them through the desert, it says that he led them by a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. You know, I imagine that the Shekinah glory 
you know, the presence, the light of the presence of God was in that cloud. It maybe looked like a cloud by day, and at nighttime you could see the shining that was inside it. And here these disciples are, you know, in the cloud with the glory, and them in the center with Jesus and Moses and Elijah. No wonder they were terrified, right? So they go down the mountain after this experience. It all just suddenly disappears, and Jesus tells them to say nothing. Imagine yourself there. Could you say nothing? Right? I'd be, there's nine other disciples, all their friends down there. I, don't, I couldn't shut up about it. I know, I'd be down there. You wouldn't believe how they're going to ask you. Well, how'd it go up there? You can say, I, well, can't tell you. But I saw Jesus shining. Moses and Elijah was there. You wouldn't believe it. <laughs> but I imagine they did their best. But we see the glory of God all throughout the scriptures. Old Testament, right? The history books, you know, all talk about it. You know, the prophets, you know, testified about it. And we have the wisdom books that exalt it. And we have the, the, the uh, gospels that reveal it, the epistles that explain it. And we have revelation that shows the end of all things with the glory of God shining, right? The glory of God. But we don't really fully understand what it is. You know, I thought about it when I was kind of, reading the transfiguration, you know, what is the glory of God? It's so hard to, to, to articulate. And we, we have our own description of glory. I mean, we, we describe things as glorious. You know, glory is things that are praiseworthy. You know, something that's praiseworthy, something that is, you know, something that's outstanding, something that's amazing, accomplishments. And we think about, you know, what spring is coming, we're gonna have some glorious days. We talk that way. We have sports heroes and entertainers that we admire, you know, that have, that have done glorious things. We apply that word that way. I think of Tom Brady. He was had a glorious career. But when we talk about the glory of God, that's a whole separate category, right? As much as I admire the career of Tom Brady, Tom Brady never raised anybody from the dead. Okay. Tom Brady never spoke a star into existence. Right? Tom Brady became great. You know, he had to work to become great. And Tom Brady, his greatness is limited to a certain area. And Tom Brady, although it doesn't seem like it now, he's going to grow old. Right? <laughs> and his glory is going to fade. But the glory of God has always existed. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The glory of God is eternal and it will never fade. And what's the difference between like Moses and Jesus? When you think of Moses, Moses was uh, a giant in the Jewish faith. He's a giant in our faith, right? He's a giant in several faiths. And even people who don't believe in God know Moses. You know, Moses is is a person that everyone looks at and just, they just know who he is. But what's the, I mean, we look at him and he's, he's this giant figure. Moses took a million people, millions of people, I should say, out of Egypt and into the promised land, right? Or up to the promised land. And he was a man that walked with God, right? Now what's the difference between him and Jesus? And the difference is this, Moses is known as the man who walked with God. But Jesus is the man who is God, right? When we think of Moses going through the desert, 
and then crossing through the Red Sea. It wasn't Moses who parted the sea. It was God. Moses led the people of Israel through the desert, but he was following the pillar, right? The difference between our glory and his glory, it cannot be reached. The glory of God cannot be touched. And we talk about the glory of God, it's not just the knowledge of his attributes, right? It's those attributes revealed. When we think about the holiness of God, the beauty of God, you know, his power, his majesty, his goodness, right? All those things, when they are revealed to us, the impact of his presence on us, that's his glory, right? When God reveals his infinite majesty to us, that is the glory of God, the light of his presence. There's a scene in Chronicles 5 where Solomon is dedicating the temple, and it says that God fills the temple with his glory, and the priests stop working. Now, we just had some fantastic worship. Can you imagine if God just filled this place with his glory to the point where we just stop? The singing stops. The clapping stops because we are so heavy with the presence of God that we just stop and praise him. That's the glory of God. That's the power of his presence. There have been times in our church where we have stopped, right, because we can just feel the presence and glory of God among us. And these disciples later would in fact write about what they saw. The amazing transfiguration of Christ. Because it impacted them. And I believe it propelled them for the rest of what they were about to do as they went out and reflected the glory of God. In 2 Peter 1.16 it says this, For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came from the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you would do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until a day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Are you in a dark place? Have you ever been in a dark place? You have. I've been in dark places, and I work in a place that is very dark. But you know the darkest place of all? Is the human heart. This is a dark place, and we need the glory of God to shine in our hearts. Otherwise, we'll never find our way out. You know, it's interesting that Peter, he's writing to a church in persecution. And we all love miracles. We love the miracles that God does in our lives. And he saw many walking with Christ for three years. He saw a lot of miracles. But he doesn't point to miracles when he's telling us how to walk out of dark places. He tells us to look not for the miracles, but look for the glory. Look for the glory of God. Pray for miracles, but when you're in a dark place, look for the glory of God. That's what's going to rise up in your heart. That's what's going to get you through dark times. The Apostle John also wrote of the glory of God. He said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we observed his glory. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is at the Father's side, has revealed him. We have seen his glory. And when we talk about the glory of God revealed, right, his attributes revealed, when we see his power and majesty, it is all in Christ. The pinnacle of God's glory is in Christ. And we have all seen his glory. And if we don't respond to that glory, we're going to get swallowed up in the smallness of the world. And maybe some of you have. I go in, when I go into work, when I go into the prison, uh, if we don't live for the bigness of God, we're going to get swallowed up by the smallness of the world. People get caught up in the smallest of things, and we were made for something bigger. We were made for the glory of God. God reveals his glory to everyone. This is what he says in Leviticus 10. He says, this is what the Lord has spoken. I will demonstrate my holiness to those who are near me, and I will reveal my glory before all people. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the works of his hands. God's glory is all around us. God's glory is shining and shouting to the whole world. It shouts to you. Have you seen it? Do you see it every day? God is not keeping himself hidden. He's out shining his glory to the world. Why don't we see it? Why doesn't the world see it? If God is shining his glory all the time, why don't we see it every day? And maybe some of you do. Maybe some of you have been looking and seeking the glory of God and you find it, right? I love uh, Tony Evans, great preacher. He said, you know, if you're hungry for God, God only feeds those who are hungry. If you're not hungry for God, you'll never get fed. But some are blinded by Satan. 2 Corinthians 4 said the God of this world blinds us to the glory of God. Unbelievers can't see him because Satan's doing his work. Blinding people from the glory of God. And there are some that don't want to see the glory of God. We hide ourselves from it. In Romans 1, it says, Since the creation of the world, invisible, God's invisible qualities, his internal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. We can refuse to see the glory of God if we don't want to see it. Right? We can not recognize it. And you know, I had my own flaws with the glory of God. I had my own issues with the glory of God. When I first came to Christ, I had... Uh, a problem with God always wanting glory. And I don't know if anyone else thinks that way, but I was sitting behind a pastor at a ball game and, and I heard someone, you know, a conversation they were having and someone asked him, hey, so ultimately what is, you know, what pleases God? What does he want? And he said that, the pastor said that God wants glory. I thought, wow, you know, that's, that's pretty selfish. I mean, isn't it? I mean, you know, isn't God, you know, just wants glory? Is that all he wants? And I'm thinking, that's, you know, I have an issue with that. And now, you know, I'm kind of ashamed that I thought that way because when you, you know, and I'm glad that God removed my ignorance because when you think about, you know, who God is, I mean, everything comes from God. Every breath we take comes from God. Every good thing that we have comes from God. You know, children, grandchildren, sunny days, everything comes from God. Colossians 1, Colossians 1 talks about, you know, everything is held together in him. So if God, even for a moment, 
stops being himself. Even for a moment, everything is gone. Our existence is gone. Our very lives are gone. Everything is done. Every time I get up in the morning, it's because God got me up in the morning. Every memory I have is because God gave me something good. Right? Everything comes from God. And why I don't wake up every day praising God for everything he does, from the smallest to the largest thing, baffles me that I could be so selfish and ignorant not to praise him every day. I'm so glad that God woke me up. God deserves glory, and yet we refuse to give it to him. Right? And we were made to give God glory, to reflect it, to praise him. You know, some despise God for this. And if I didn't wake up, if God didn't shake me out of my ignorance, I would have progressed in it. Here's what it says, continuing in Romans 1, it says, For all, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God for, for images resembling mortal men, birds and animals, and reptiles. And they worshiped the creation and not the creator. You know, as a chaplain in a prison, I see this all the time. In fact, I, I have the you know, privilege of, of sitting in on other religious services. And I, I, you know, there's one guy, you know, I could hear them kind of doing their own kind of talking amongst themselves. And there's one guy I overheard just saying that he knows the Bible, he knows the God of the Bible, and the reason he's in their particular faith group is because he will not submit to any authority. Right? He will not worship God because he will not give himself over to anything, so he worships gods that he controls. This is our, this is our nature. This is our nature without the glory of God, until we let the glory of God in our hearts. This is where we're going. Some outright reject it. We become bored with the glory of God. When you read the Exodus, the Israelites, God rescued them from slavery, brutal slavery. You know, a life of, you know, just an existence of just going to work, eating, going to work, eating, going to work, and being treated horribly by their masters. And the longer they were there, the worse they got treated. And when God brings them out from Sinai to the promised land, all they do is complain. Oh, you know, we're, we're tired of this, this bread from heaven. You know, God, can't you give us some meat? You know, oh God, I know these shoes, they've never worn out, but, you know, they're running out of style. Can you give us, you know, all they do is say, oh, oh, if we were, could only go back to Egypt. Whoop, we had... We had great meals back in Egypt. Oh God, if we could only go back there, whenever they got threatened, we had great safety back in Egypt. They were constantly looking back to the safety of what they had in Egypt, even though it was miserable, instead of living in the glory of God, who was present among them. How many of us? You, know, you ever talk about the glory days? You ever talk about the great days of your empty lives before you knew Christ? I hope not, right? Because if the glory of God doesn't fill you, you're going to get swallowed up by the little things of this world. Right? The bigness of God, let it fill your lives, or you're going to get swallowed up by the little things of the, this world. Revelation is a great book. It says you'll be blessed if you read it. It's the only book that says that. You'll be blessed if you read it. There's this amazing scene in Revelation 16 where God is pouring out his wrath on the world. Terrible, awful things. 
But even in the midst of pouring out his wrath, he offers repentance. If you will just turn and come to me, I'll, I'll receive you as he's pouring out wrath. And people are so hard-hearted that they continue to run and they refuse it. The further we walk away from God's glory, the harder our hearts get until it's too late. We need to do what we were designed to do. Otherwise, we become something that we're not, that we were never designed to be. How do you respond to the glory of God? Are you running to it? Are you living in it? Are you embracing the glory of God as what you were designed to be, as your future? Right, as everything that you were made to be. There's something deep in our being where we were designed to live in the glory of God, to enjoy it, that makes us feel complete. Because we were made for it. And when you don't live in the glory of God, you fall into other things. Lust, right? Drugs, alcohol, power, false power, I should say, greed, jealousy. Right? The world will fill you with its things, with its own form of glory, a counterfeit glory, the things we chase, the people we admire, the things that we think are going to fill us up. Life is, some, is about something bigger, right? Something bigger than ourselves. And if we're not following something bigger than ourselves, we're going to get lost in it. The glory of God is our guide. The glory of God is what we were designed to be, to be walking in, to living in, and enjoying. And we will become glorified as we follow him. There's a beautiful passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul is talking about Moses when Moses used to spend time with God. The glory of God would just shine on him. And he would go out amongst the people and the glory of God would be reflecting off his skin. And as he walked among the people, he would convict them. You know, because they would be seeing the glory of God all the time. And they'd say, hey, Moses, can you do something about that? Can you, can you like wear a veil or something because it's, bothering us so they would put a veil he would put a veil on after he had spent time with God and Paul says this yet still today whenever Moses is read a veil lies over their hearts because whenever a person turns to the Lord but whenever a person turns to the Lord the veil is removed and now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is spirit. And what he's saying is that unlike those people, we take the veil off. Right? When we've been with the Lord, we take the veil off. We want that glory reflected. And when we see the glory of God from glory to glory, there's something in us that recognizes that, that that's our future that we are becoming like that. It's like when a child looks at his parent and says, you know what, when, when my dad smiles, I look like that, right? When my 
dad does this, you know, and, and uh, you know, works in the, in, the, in the yard. You know, I want to do that. I remember I had my grandfather. I loved him. He was the person that I admired the most in the world. And I used to follow him around in his basement. He had all this cool stuff. You know, he had a ham radio. He used to paint. He was painting a portrait of my grandmother. I would just follow him around. I just wanted to be like him. And when we see the glory of God, there's something in us. I, that's my future. I want to be like that. Because you were made for the glory of God. And when you see it, there's something in you that wants to be it. Peter writes, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. For we have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory. You've heard about being on fire for the Lord, right? The glory of God is the fuel that ignites the fire. The glory of God is what keeps the fire going, right? It's not the story of God, it's the glory of God. We love the story of God, right? But it's the glory of God that draws us. It's the glory of God that keeps our fire burning. When we see our Father in heaven, when we see his greatness and his glory, that's what lifts us up. When we talk about what Jesus did for us, not the God who died for us, but the God who rose from the dead, right? I remember my progression of faith, and maybe it's the same as yours, maybe it's not. But when I first came to Christ, you know, I had needs. And that's all I thought about. You know, Jesus helped me. You know, Jesus helped me out of this pit that I've dug myself. Jesus, you know, I'm hurting, help me with this. And he did. You know, God was amazing. God came into my life and changed everything. And I, I loved him for that. And then as I matured in my faith, I recognized that because God loves me, I love him all that much more. But it starts with his love, his grace. His grace is great. And even though I keep sinning, his mercy is great. And I love his mercy. So I started focusing on God's grace. You know, the needs, he's met great needs, but not but his love and grace, that's, that's, that's so unbelievable. No one ever compares to God's love. But as I get older and more mature in my faith, it's not the needs and it's not even the grace of God. It's the magnificence who he is that just wakes me up in the daytime you know just in the morning that's the first thing I think of God I love you nothing else what's your faith about today you know it's we want to pray for miracles and we want to pray for our needs and we want to thank God for the way that he loves us but we need to give him glory. Right? It's not that God needs glory. He needs to receive glory. It's that we need to give it. We need to give him glory. Peter, James, and John saw the glory of Christ. And I believe that that propelled them for the rest of their ministries, for the rest of their lives. That that was the fuel that inspired them as they went on. You were made for the glory of God and is shining in you. And I pray that you're going to seek him and let his glory be reflected off of you to other people. That you revel in his glory because he made it for you. He designed you to live in joy with him, right? So that you could live your life with confidence that he is with you, that he's for you, and that you're going to be with him in the end, in all eternity. That you are going to be glorified with him.
God's glory is why we were created. Right? You were made in the image of God. And by living out that image, you have become sons and daughters of God. Live in the glory of God. And I'm going to give some reality here as I close. Because the glory of God is going to go on forever. But not everyone is living in the glory of God. There's no atheists or agnostics in hell. I'm going to just say that. I don't say that with any joy. There will be no atheists or agnostics in hell. Because on the last day, when everything passes away, everyone is going to rise before God. This is what Paul wrote in Philippians 2. Therefore God also has highly exalted him in giving him the name of above every name that every knee that the uh, that every name that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, I want you to picture this because this is really important as we live in the glory of God. There are some people who do not, re do not recognize the glory of God. Some people who run from it. Some people think that they have a choice as to what's going to happen, but they don't. The default is that we are heading for wrath until we recognize the glory of God and receive it. But on the last day, God is going to raise up everyone. And the glory of Christ is going to appear. And every knee is going to bow. And every tongue will confess. Not as a saving confession but as an acknowledgement of the obvious. When Christ appears in his full glory, that he is Lord and they will be lost. We need to live in the glory of God, not just for our own sakes, but for the sake of a world that is lost around us. And you need to reflect your glory, the glory of Christ that is in you for their sakes. If you're here today and you don't know the glory of God, God says that whoever seeks me with all his heart will find me. If you want to see the glory of God, all you have to do is ask him and he will come into your life and he will change the trajectory of your world. If you have been living in God's glory, but maybe you've kind of been bored with that, right? Maybe you're like the Israelites. You've been looking around, maybe looking at your past, or maybe you're going through trouble or dark times. Then maybe this is the day to start seeking God's glory. We all talk about having, you know, being in a desert place sometimes. But we can come out of that desert place, not by praying for miracles, but by praying for the glory of God to come back into our lives. You were made for glory for God's glory and I pray today that you will live in it confidently and reflect it to the world. Welcome to Church Online. My name is Pastor Mark and I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join us in watching our services online. Maybe you can't be at our location today and you're watching this from home or on the road. We just want to say thank you for tuning in. 
and maybe you can't get to a physical location at Grace Capital Church, then this becomes part of your regular routine to do church live on your computer or on your device. We want to say, invite some friends with you. Do church together. Life is so much better together and discovering what God has for us is meant to be done in community. Gather people together and enjoy these services for weeks to come. Thank you for watching. Thank you.